Chapter thirty nine of the Grell Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. The Grell Mystery by Frank Froust. Chapter thirty nine. Something of the chagrin caused to Heldon Foyle by the escape of the man on the barge had vanished with the success of his operations in Smike Street. If his frontal attack had failed, he had at least achieved something by his flank movement. The break-up of the gambling den, too, was something. Altogether, he felt that his injuries were a cheap price to pay for what had been achieved. In bare detail, he related the sequence of events to Sir Hilary Thornton, who, with a gloved hand jerking at his grey moustache, listened with only an occasional observation. The inevitable crowd of journalists, who had been warned by telephone from their colleagues at Smike Street, were jumbled in a tiny, tiny waiting-room when Foyle and his superior reached headquarters. The superintendent, having changed his attire, made it his first business to satisfy their clamorous demands, by dictating a brief and discreet account of the raid to be typed and handed out to them, then with a head that ached intolerably he forced himself to do some clear thinking. With the dossier of the case before him he read and re-read all that had been gathered by his men and himself since that night when he had been called from his sleep to find Harry Goldenberg dead. Was there some point he had overlooked? He knew how fatal it was in the work of criminal investigation to take anything for granted. Although the main work of the explorer was now focused on Grell, it was not entirely certain that he was the murderer. Indeed, strange as his proceedings had been, there might be some explanation that would account for them. It might be that after Grell was found the whole investigation would have to begin again with the scent grown cold. Stranger things had happened. The superintendent dropped his papers wearily into a drawer and turned the key. His speculations were unprofitable. He turned over in his brain his plans for running down Grell. Of the people who had been assisting him to evade capture, three were out of the way for the time being. Ivan Abramovich and Condit were safely under lock and key. The Princess Petrovska was out of London, and there was a fair margin of assumption that she was located somewhere in Liverpool, where the local police were assisting the Scotland Yard men. It was hardly possible that she would double back, even if she evaded their rigorous search. With the detectives on duty at the London Termini reinforced and on strict watch, her chances of doing so were very slim. With three of his friends out of touch and hampered by want of money, Grell would have to seek a fresh refuge. The chief result of Foyle's actions had been to make any steps he might take more difficult. That was all. It was still possible for him to dodge the pursuit. The evening papers with the story of the raid were already upon the streets. What would be the effect upon Grell's plans when he learned that Ivan had been captured? In the case of an ordinary criminal, Heldon Foyle might have forecasted what would happen with a fair degree of certainty, but Grell was not an ordinary criminal, even if he were a criminal at all. If he could gain a hint of the possible intentions of their fugitive, he might be able to meet them. There was a vague chance that either Ivan Abramovich or Condit might be induced to volunteer a statement, although the possibility was remote. In America or France there would have been ways of forcing them to speak. In England it was impossible. With a yawn, Foyle relinquished his efforts, and his head dropped forward on his desk. In a little he was fast asleep. He was roused by a light touch on the shoulder. Green had returned. "'Hello,' said the superintendent. "'I must have dozed off. How have you got on?' Green adjusted his long body to the comfort of an armchair. We found the Chinaman. He'd climbed through a trap-door onto the roof. We went over the house with a tooth-comb both before and after I'd had a little talk with Keller. It seems that both he and his partner the Chinaman had known the man for some time before they gave him a room. They're old hands at the game and won't talk too much. He went out very occasionally and mostly at night. We found nothing bearing on the murder, but plenty to show that Keller and his pal were running a pretty hot shop. Hmm. Could you dig anything out of any of the others? There was the doorkeeper. No, tight as oysters, all except those who don't know anything. Ivan has a fit of the sulks. He's called in Mordix to help him fix up his defence. The superintendent was rubbing his chin. 
Mordix isn't too scrupulous. I think we'll hold over the charge of abduction for the time being until we see how things look. Nobody hurt much, I suppose. The saturnine features of the inspector wrinkled into as near a grin as they were capable of. Some of them are rather sore, but the doctor thinks they can all appear in court tomorrow. Foyle stretched himself and rose. Right, we won't worry any further about it for the moment. I'm feeling that the best thing for me is a good night's rest. You'd better go home and do the same. Good night. End of chapter 39